Welcome to the Juneteenth episode of the Afros and Knives podcast. Tonight's guest is brilliant food writer and the host of a Hungry Society podcast on Heritage Radio, Portia Wilson. And I am your host, Tiffany Rozier. Our conversation steps away from the traditional format as we discuss the current state of Black food and Black lives and what the future could look like. So consider this more of a State of the Union address, but given by two very dope Black women. From the daily fireworks displays throughout the whole of New York City, leaving the air smelling of sweaty feet and burnt hair, to the online cookouts and symposiums, and the global uprising against police brutality, oppression, colonization, and white supremacy, I believe you can agree that we are indeed in the middle of wild, wild times. Hi, my name is Portia Wilson. I'm a food writer and the founder of A Hungry Society, which takes a look at the food world and people who are making it dope right now and not getting enough attention. So oftentimes that's um, chefs of color, black chefs, black writers, uh, people all over the food landscape who I think are doing incredible work and should be seen way more. Agreed and agreed in that. And there's just so many, so many numbers, large, large numbers. But yes, tonight we are not going to have our, it's not going to be our regular or my regularly formatted program where I just ask questions and listen and send it in. We are going to discuss essentially the state of affairs for Black folks and Black folks who work in food specifically. So consider this kind of a state of the union. Because there's just so much. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we could start at the top with this COVID and just work our way down because the, the hits just keep coming. 2020 yep. came in real hot for came most in super of hot. Um, has yep. no chill, and I just <laughs> we are sitting in our homes just sweating. It's, it's so funny. I got in, I got to New York in April. I got to Boston in, in January. And so oh, wow. like, I've literally been like moving through the seasons. And now it's like you're sitting in a room, it's hot, it's it's muggy, and you're just like, okay, it was just cold. I just had a coat on. Right. It's like there's no time to process. There's no in between. Right. Everything just keeps kind of overlapping. So you just don't have a way to like, there's no closure on anything. Everything <laughs> just open into it at this mm-hmm. point. And you're just like, okay, um, I, all of this, I need to close a few of the tabs on my browser right now. And I can't because right. the minute I turn my head, something lights up. Case in point, I was leaving Boston, leaving America's Test Kitchen, which was a hot mess. I just, I mean, I haven't told anyone else really the saga of the entire thing there, but like, good Lord, they have some work to do. And I ended up in Philly for like a short minute because I thought I was going to be there and I was doing some work for Jamila at um, the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then I got um, a call to interview for a position at the Bon Appetit Test Oh, wow. <laughs> so that oh, was, goodness. yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you, you write about that one. Um, so that was in the <laughs> middle of March. That was like March 17th, somewhere around there. It was right before the shelter-in-place order came for New York City. And so I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I, then I got a phone call or I, uh, Jesse reached out to me uh, from their staff and we had a quick chat and I kind of like had a few things on my radar already. Like there was already, like he already kind of threw up a red flag for me and, you know, like shout out to him because he was definitely looking out when I didn't realize he was looking out. And so I had amazing, amazing. He really really is. And I was just like, thank you. Cause he just wanted to talk through like, what, like, what are your intentions? And like, this is the climate here. And he just really kind of gave me a a really good understanding before my interview. And so then I had my interview with Chris Morocco, really sweet. Um, he asked most of the right questions and, um, that seemed to have gone well. And so we tried to schedule a stage for like the next, the following week. And by that, and that was like a Tuesday. So by that Friday, their offices were closed. Things were shut down. Yep. Things were shut down. 
Jason escalated, yep. I was like, oh, it took four days for that to happen. So I made my way to New York because I didn't know, we didn't know how long this was going to last. So I made my way to New York. I'm in Harlem now with my sister. And I was like, well, I'll just be nearby just in case, you know, like if, mm-hmm. if, this, if this lasts a couple of weeks, at least I'm here and I'm not trying to like get from Philly to here. Um, oh, and of course that was in April. And, you know, that's when it's almost July. So, <laughs> so, so yes. Yeah, it's been... It has been a time. I've been in the same place um, since March. So in my apartment in West New York, New Jersey, which is right across the water um, yeah. from like the west part of Midtown Manhattan. Um, and yeah, it has just been like you said, the hits just keep on coming. Like it just it it's been the longest time but the shortest time it's just like it really is it's like there are days the days go really fast but the weeks take forever right and then it's like oh it's monday morning and then you turn around and it's like sunday again right what the the hell yeah Um, it's um, a weird (laughs) twilight zoney type of feeling right now um alive in 2020 (laughs) none of us were prepared for this at all, and it's like I don't know if you can. Prepare. I don't know if someone told us last year that this was what this was going to look like. I don't know how you would prepare for that. Right. You know, right. like we saw everyone's emergency preparedness like options, and most people bought their bodies weight worth of toilet paper. And, <laughs> for some reason, yeah, like that was why. <laughs> You can't eat that. I don't understand right. why you have so much of it. And so it was like, if we told them last year that this was going to happen, you, I don't think anyone would have made wiser choices. Mm. I just think they would have done it, done the foolishness sooner and opposed yeah. to later. And so that's why I was just like, well, most people just aren't great in these types of emergencies. I think black people shine because we are used to like, a shit show on a number of like showing up to something and not being what you expected or it blowing up and you're just like okay, really like, now I have to like fix and like we're very we're big problem solvers and we troubleshoot like on our feet so I think we were a bit more we're a bit more agile in these types of spaces um yeah. but outside I mean, of that I, I was saying this earlier um it's just been amazing to watch the ways in which the black food community has like really taken this time to not only like completely like ground ourselves in one another but also make you know having discussions or talk like they they're giving like black food folks and black food and beverage and Zella Palmer with Dillard in New Orleans like the whole whole like symposiums virtually uh, about all these topics and food and food media specifically for black folks and featuring black folks and it's just it's amazing to watch how all this came together like finding a way out of no way is like just this like incredibly beautiful superpower that like I see our community having and like I even like I hesitate to say that because it implies that we're (laughs) we're superhuman in some way when in reality we are completely human and we've been forced to find ways out of no way because we've been given less and I think that's an important thing to acknowledge at the same time as we're acknowledging the beauty also acknowledging the the lack of resources that have been allocated to to black communities like forever (laughs) it's amazing i mean i always tell people like watching the african-american community in black community in in the united states is like a a master class in how to take pain and turn it into something because it's it's all the time like the i did an interview this morning with jocelyn jackson from um justice kitchen out in Mm -hmm. oakland and we were talking about the fact that like her time in africa she um they she lost they they lost a family member from her the host family she was staying with and there was there's this there are these two things that happen there's um mourning and then there's breathing 
and the fact that she, you know, was she was articulate, she was so articulate about separating those two things. Because I, you know, I told her like it's interesting how that is reflected here, even without a direct connection or link to our ancestral roots. We do the same thing here, you know, as a community. We we mourn for people and we also grieve them, and they're really two different processes. And so, like with people, especially in this current moment, with losing, with the public loss of so many Black lives, and and you know, because we all have our own personal like individual losses because people forget like it was quickly forgotten that with COVID-19 black communities were disproportionately affected and so we've already we're already processing the loss of so many lives because of that and then to add like these violent deaths that are just now being that, that are being released to the public not that they hadn't been happening but now there's eyes on them unlike any other time in history really and right. so we're yeah. collectively trying to mourn and grieve all of these people people we knew and people we did not know like they're representatives of people we actually are connected to uh, yeah. directly so like to have a community that is constantly in a state of mourning and grieving. And at the same time, we use, we have learned to use that pain to create all the things that attract people to the United States to be doing with all the things mm-hmm. that make it sexy to live here and sexy to move here are the things we've done and the things we've contributed. And so like we simultaneously take all of that pain and all of that rage and everything else, all the ugliness, and we like turn out shit like Beychella. Like, let's be real. <laughs> so like that's what the hell we do. And so yeah. for me, it's just like I cannot imagine if we were well taken care of and and treated like human beings and you know treated with tenderness and kindness and compassion and empathy, what we could turn out, what we could really offer the communities we live in and the society we live in. Yeah. Yeah. You know? it's, um it's really been there's also like you know i struggle with you know there is quite a bit of pain that is explored but there's also so much joy and i think mm-hmm. when it comes to food ways in particular there's um you know like even like today we're talking on juneteenth it's there's so much joy in juneteenth celebrations and for me like it's weird being in the height of summer and not going to like a crab boil or going to a cook you know, like our dining traditions are oftentimes like super communal and everyone getting together and catching up and, you know, kids running around and music playing. And, you know, it's, um, so it is like a grieving and mourning period for that as well of like, well, it's Mm -hmm. not like safe to do these things that are like so integral to, our culture and community and a sense of community. So how do we recreate that? Because, you know, even though we right. can do it virtually, it, it's not the same as like being together in person. Oh, so absolutely. That's what I've been struggling with lately is like, how do I bring that sense of communion into my life in different ways of, you know, feeling, I definitely feel connected um, and have talked more to my fellow black culinarians in like the past few months than like <laughs> the next couple of years. Like we've been in, in communication, texting, emailing, uh, FaceTiming, you know, phone calls, like uh, just like we've been in touch, but like I do miss it's, it's never uh, an adequate substitute for like seeing someone face to face, giving them a hug, ha- sharing a meal with them, you know, like there's just, Absolutely. I can't find a substitute and it's, it's hard because I get is. so much inspiration from that. Oh yeah. Cause it's, I was tell if you've ever been in community or in like physical spaces with, with black people, it's, we are expressive. And so like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even down to like laughing at a joke, it's like, there's a dispersal of bodies. There's walking, there's running in place. There's like, there's just so much physicality to even like a laugh mm-hmm. that you do. Like it's, it's a part of like how we express ourselves. And so it is kind of that component that's missing because it's hard to capture that through like an Instagram live. Right. Um, and we get really close, like to your point about black food folks, I was talking to, um, Therese Nelson about like some type of like black food awards scenario Mm -hmm. that is outside Mm -hmm. of like that James Beard space and and what that could look like. Cause I'm all about, you know, things being, um, 
non-traditional and kind of working outside the box. Like it doesn't have to look the way traditional awards programs end up looking, which is like just self-congratulatory and really self-indulgent. And I wanted something that really was kind of rooted in community and like not necessarily an award for best or better or great work in that way where you're kind of like judging it on that scale, but more of just a recognition of the importance of the work in the moment. And so like with Black food folks, I was like, God, they would get an award immediately, like to galvanize an entire community around just conversations. Like I think it's been a catalyst. Those conversations have been such a catalyst for other things to happen and, um, and just finding a place to like, you know, find each other in like the madness. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember like when we first fell into like the quarantine, I was in, I was like making my way from like Philly, then into South Jersey at my dad's and then here to New York. And while I was at my dad's, I was just like, well, why don't I just do, because at the time it was like this weird, it was this weird sadness had kind of come over everyone when we realized like we are going to be in this for the long haul. And so it was, you know, I could tell people were feeling disconnected from one another. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do like a family night and people can log in and like log into zoom and we can just like reach just touch base with each other, check in on each other and that kind of thing. So I did that for a few weeks and then, you know, gave uh, like Colleen and um, Clay some time to breathe. And then, you know, when they jumped in with their conversations, I didn't have to do, I didn't have to do those family nights anymore because those, those Instagram live talks with them were like filling that space. And so Mm. it's been a incredible to like watch that seed grow into something like this because I think people are just so like the more and more people find out about the fact that these things are happening and they are logging on and of course now with all these new eyes on on black people and <laughs> and that's a right. that's a, a whole different part of this conversation um the you know <laughs> if you really want to learn how to like be uh and to to embrace blackness and embrace uh, color around you and embrace the community. These are great talks to sit in on. I don't necessarily know how yeah. much you can contribute if you aren't directly a part of the community, but they're definitely safe spaces for you to sit in and like, you know, and listen and like pay attention to the history of what we've done here in the food community across the country and how our voices and our hands and our labor have influenced what you eat and how you eat to this day. Like I was telling, talking to someone about how um, ancient Egyptians actually introduced the concept of coursed meals and mm-hmm. not eating everything at one time. And so like, they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, that practice goes back a really long time. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's got roots in Africa. So yes, you know, the reason why you have like 19 courses at your favorite fine dining restaurant is because we brought all of that knowledge with us. So, you know, just like being able to open people's eyes to their real history. I think that's one of the, the more interesting responses I've seen to kind of like the current levels of like white people wokeness right now right. is that the people I personally know that are friends that are friends of mine that have are dear dear friends of mine who are now having to unlearn all of like the trash education that they got in public school and relearn like actual U.S. history in like it, it, you know the reality of it is that I've just gotten a lot of rage a lot of anger like how could they not tell us this stuff like what did they think and I'm like well guys remember you know, the education system was less about learning something and more about right. like indoctrination and preparing you to telling no. you this is how things were and this is how things are. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's been really interesting to watch this like awakening or, you know, people are talking about a food media reckoning and it's like, <laughs> I don't, it's exhausting because it's like, I mean, these are, we're having... I'm being asked to talk about, you know, cultural appropriation. It's like, we've been talking about this for years and it's not, it's still completely centered on whiteness and white people and how they feel about things. And I don't think that's pushing things forward. I think that's more an examination of, you know, white people wanting to hear from black folks about like what they think is wrong instead of like, actually wanting to be accountable for the work they're doing or not doing to make things better. Exactly. Is there's a big difference between the two. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, I've had to like turn down like opportunities to speak on like 
because, you know, they're like, oh, talk about cultural appropriation and Bon Appetit and how you feel about all that. And it's like, for what? Like, what is your intention with asking me to do that? Exactly. Exactly. It's just, I feel like it's so, I, I know like at the very beginning of this interesting turn of the tide, I had reached someone that I, of course, everyone I think had like a very lateral experience where like your DMs were blown up, your email was blown up. Mm-hmm. People were either apologizing or trying to take responsibility or trying to understand, or how can I help you? Or can I just send you money? And you're just mm-hmm. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not going to deny your money. However, it cannot come from like a place of like absolving your guilt or right. like thinking this is a or solution to a, here. Right. Like, no, right. please don't make a donation in the name of like white supremacy. That is not <laughs> the business. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we're, it's not what we're doing. And so at some point I had written, uh, I had re- reached out to Teresa again and I was just like, is it just me or am I, are you sent I was like, is, are you super cynical right now? Like, I just felt yeah. like, I was halfway between cynicism and gratitude. Like it was nice to wake up and see that my Instagram followers had tripled in two days. But at the same time, like you can't help but to be cynical and skeptical of like motives and intent. And in that, and because of that, you know, there's no sustainability in that relationship like or exchange. So I asked her, I'm like, is that, I mean, I can't be the only person like almost irritated right now. And then, uh, Steven from, uh, Whetstone had, had posted something on Instagram that was like really eloquent and like definitely said exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, thank you. I was like, I can't be the only one feeling conflicted about this right now. And like wanting people to just fully stop and think like, I think there was just no pause. It was just reactionary. And now they're trying to dig their way out of the reaction because it's so easy to live in the problem. Mm-hmm. Like we've lived in the problem for a hundred, 401 years at this point. So we've been living in it. And it's like now, because you've like remembered that we're here, it's, you know, you're engaging with the problem all over again. And because of, um, you know, because of white privilege, you can exit the conversation whenever you want. So it's really mm-hmm. easy to kind of go, oh, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Or I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to hit the exit and, and and y'all let me know when you have some suggestions for me. <laughs> so like, that's an offer. That's a privilege to like be able to just go. And like, we have this again, like I told people, I'm like, I, I was black yesterday. Mm-hmm. I was black this morning. I will mm-hmm. be black tomorrow. <laughs> so this does not change because it gets uh, like, we don't have the the opportunity to leave you know, blackness because we are, are uncomfortable or something is painful or whatever. And so like watching this like reckoning of the food media space, I'm like, but that's been a long time coming. It's not like, you know, this is the only place where things are kind of like centered around the white experience in food. I think you saw it. I mean, like when you watch certain publications fold, when you watch things like, um, like when the Food Network started to lose certain talents, because again, like the, the you know, the, the content was stale and it was getting right. to the point that not even white people wanted to look at white people doing any of this stuff anymore. And right. so it was just and like, I think it, like, it sends a message that, you know, it, this is for a certain kind of person or this is, it's just like, a, ignoring of you can tell as a reader as a consumer when you are ignored (laughs) when your like eyes aren't valued or your dollar isn't valued and yeah like to your point of like people looking away I think that's absolutely true and you know consumers get to decide if they want to continue to support an organization or not um yeah I don't know it's uh yeah I'm trying to be hopeful about this all leading to something like super positive and like a, a lot of big changes. Yeah. I'm the, the like longer <laughs> this goes on, the more I'm like, uh, people yeah, are just going to want to be comfortable yes. instead of actually making some change and doing the work. But yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm naturally optimistic. So I'm, I'm still holding on to some optimism, but it is yeah. fading. By the day, <laughs> but I'm She's trying like, oh. to hold on to it. I'm trying to you keep know, it. It's so funny, like when the the the, cha- the the when this particular issue popped up and like COVID, everyone had to like I guess 
a small percentage of the population had collectively decided that COVID was over and it was just a trend. Um, you know, I, me and my sister have been talking about it every day at length, of course. And, you know, one of the first things that popped up for me is like, because people don't understand how connected um, race, systemic racism is to capitalism and how essential it is to how the country is built. It's just, it's woven into the fabric. And so to, to ask an established, and ask an establishment to like remove a single thread that is essential to their survival is going to be a big ask. And so when people are like, yeah, we want, you know, we need, we, we need you to take action and you have to understand that this action is likely going to be painful and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you more than you think it's going to cost you because you're asking for things, like you're asking for legislative changes. You're asking for changes in governance. You're asking to literally rewrite history in a way. And so like when we first started and everyone was like, what do I read? I need more information. Teach me something. I need to understand what's happening. And you know, the, the long, list of books that black people were laboring to create to help people like, you know, just unlearn and relearn what they needed to know in order to even move forward. And, you know, I had a few people ask me, and I think those numbers died down as I started to suggest the things they should start with. And I, you know, and I love all the work that's been done, um, you know, in, in that space. But the first thing I suggested to anybody who asked me was to go read the Virginia Slave Code. If you want to know how we got here, that's where you start. Because someone lit, there was a group of people who literally sat down and wrote laws as a foundation for the country you currently live in. And as you, and and because they can't, they're so ingrained at this point into how we operate. It's like, it's an operation system and it's like an operating system on a computer. If you remove one, it's like, it's so funny when you go into try to eliminate or delete a file in your computer that is essential to its operation, it'll tell you, we cannot remove this file. Not without your computer blowing up, not without you having to pay a visit to like a tech guy or the geek squad. It's going to decimate what you, what the, this computer, you're not going to be able to, it's going to be unusable. And so like systemic racism is the same way. Like the United States literally functions on it. It's required in order for us to operate in any way. So to ask, uh, to, to, to start to dismantle it, like that is going to be, it's good. You're going to have some system failure for a minute because you have like the entire policing system is built on, um, slave policing and capturing, right. you know, like capturing runaway slaves. So they never got rid of that system. It just evolved with the times. Right. So, because it's hard to extricate that you can't like all of a sudden remove something that was essential to capital. I mean, when, you know, I think that was why I was like, learn about slavery first and not slavery and your feelings around slavery. Cause that was the, the first thing I ever posted on Facebook that people were like, wow, because I was like, I need people to get out of their emotions about this. Right. Slavery exactly. is bad. We all feel bad about it. Like it's a thing to feel bad about. It's immoral. It's ridiculous. So yes, now that we understand that it's inhumane and we, and like, let's look at the logistics of this thing. Let's look at why it was beneficial, why it was profitable, because while slavery is, I think, one of the bigger evils of humanity, it is also tremendously profitable. So, you know, like when people talk about the Civil War and they talk about the succession of the South, they're very trite, they're flippant about it because they're like, well, you know, they just wanted to, to succeed because they wanted to keep their slaves. I'm like, yeah, but this was not about a relationship with their slaves. Right. Was was asking them, them. Yeah, exactly. They weren't asking someone to break up with their boyfriend or divorce their spouse. They were asking them to give up a, what would be equivalent to $300 billion of commerce. So you're asking people to give up that much capital. So if you were to sit here and have a conversation right now, and ask the United, the, the public in this country, would you be prepared to give up a $300 billion industry? People would have a pause. It's a right. lot of money. That equals a lot of jobs. That equals a lot of progress. And so when people start to have these conversations around dismantling racism, that's the thing we have to realize. Like we all collectively have to come to grips with the fact that when we start to dismantle a system that's this big and this old and this essential to how half of us live, 
it's going to be a painful separation. It's going to be, I mean, the, the, the reconstruction of the South, like looking at that, um, you know, the fact that it was such an important economic issue for the South to keep slavery as part of their commerce, that they were prepared to succeed from the union. <laughs> like That's a right. big fucking deal. <laughs> so like when people were like, what do I need to know? What do I, how do I understand this? I'm like, well, first, like stop being so emotional about it and be pragmatic. Like slavery was a billion dollar business to the right. point where they could lose entire ships of slaves and still function. Mm. Yeah. I think about often like, okay, how does this show up in my field of work? Like in food media, how do we, you know, I think the world, the world, <laughs> I think the yeah. word like dismantle has come up a lot um, in these conversations and like the aftermath yeah. of, um, you know, videos of police brutality and people coming to terms mm. with racism as being like integral to the structure and foundation of this country. And I think there's, or I, I pray and I hope that there's an awareness of how these things become ingrained in all of the structures, you know, not just policing, but also, you know, food media and yeah, who can do absolutely. it and who historically has been able to be a full-time food writer who gets hired at these publications and what their resumes look like. And, you know, I think it's all related and I hope people are waking up to the fact that everything is entangled. And like Mm -hmm. you said, you can't pull one thread. Like it's not just one piece where you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We're good. Uh, You know, like it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of creativity to like rethink well, what can the structure look like? Who should it serve? Who should it be for? Exactly. Um, and how do we empower people within it? Like not just, you know, I, I think so many of these conversations come back to capitalism and not being extractive in yeah. labor. In you know, that's not just physical labor, but also uh, mental labor. Mm. Um, how can we actually create structures that, Provide, you know, financial security, but also not at the cost of, of human beings. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's like, you have to sell, I, you know, and I, while I love the passion around like the conversations, like around like the Bon Appetit brand and the Condé Nast brand and like, you know, you know, publishers that publish cookbooks and things like that. Like I appreciate like the beginnings, the, the seeds of these conversations at the same time, you have to be, again, you have to be a bit pragmatic about it and go, well, to completely tear apart a, a company that employs thousands of people and, you know, generate commerce in a capitalist society. You have to look at what responsibility you're willing to take when you dismantle mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and what you're asking people to do, because it's not just going to be the food writer or the, 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 the editor that's going to be let go from their job. If that brand closes, if those doors close, the janitor who cleans the building loses their job, the person working in maybe the company cafeteria loses their job. Like there's just so many, there's, so, there's a, there's an effect there that we have to like be really mindful of. And like you said, there, we have to be creative about the solution because you're asking for like the result looks really simple compared to the process of getting there. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you need to diversify your food stories. You need to diversify your food reporting, diversify the voices writing these stories. I'm like, yeah, okay, well to get there, we have to understand that we have to change people's attitudes towards the value of the black voice and how that moves a magazine, how that will move an issue of a news, a copy of a newspaper. If no one's prepared to go to a newsstand and buy a $12 copy of a magazine or, you know, buy the digital subscription um, because they're not connecting to the stories being told because they're not connecting to the voices in that mag in that publication, all that results in all that, that results in less revenue and less revenue means people don't get paid. That means, you know, companies go under, that means building, you know, buildings close and businesses go bankrupt. So like in our efforts to, steer the conversation now that people are asking us what do you guys want what do you want us to do what do you need us to do in an effort to steer that conversation like just keep in mind that these companies are mammoth they are huge and so to like unpack 
the economics of change like that, that means that there's a few conversations you have to have before then. There has to be an elevated value of the Black voice, like period. It has to mean, it has to translate into dollars. That mm-hmm. means that when, some, when this particular Black writer writes for your publication, you see a, in, a bump in revenue. You see an increase in sales. You see, you know what I'm saying? Like it has to translate into dollars because we live in a capitalist system. If we didn't, this conversation probably could sound really different. But because right. dollars make decisions, that's the thing. And I just like, I love, I love my people. I love black people. We just have to remember that we, we, this is how this works. This is the exchange. Your voice has value. And sometimes it's not us that determines that value. We know that just amongst each other. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. the market determines our value a lot of times. So we have to now talk about the market. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also want to make sure we spend some time talking about like how we're both doing <laughs> and like <laughs> and all of this, like, you know, and looking forward, like, yeah, what, what is, what we, what does this look like? <laughs> yeah. What, what, this work? what do we do? <laughs> Not even just work, but like, you know, yeah. joy, or rest or self care. Like, what does that look like going forward? Cause it's been tough. Yeah. It's true. I, yeah. I am. I I don't you know I'm just trying to drink uh, you know as much hot tea as possible and uh, <laughs> yeah keep and get some rest and <laughs> yeah, yeah get some sleep I mean I just food. yeah uh, I had to repurchase like a bottle of like ten thousand milligram vitamin D mm-hmm. um I just I just notice like certain things if they're missing right now are like uh, I feel the effects immediately I, I have like three hundred dollars worth of skincare. And I just make sure I spend My time. My routine like, game has been, I got it down pat now. Like, come on. <laughs> I can do it like way more now. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's like focusing on those things that I can actually see changing. Like I bought um, one of those personal microdermabrasion th- things. And so I do that once a week. I bought um, a really cool uh, face mask and I do that once a week. And so just like those things that make me like stop thinking about everything outside of me mm-hmm. and make me like focus in on like what's happening with me specifically. So like I have, there's um someone, I was watching a uh, there was one point in the last few weeks where all I permitted myself to consume were videos about like home renovations. That was oh, it. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, like, I'm not watching. I'm just like, I am not watching anything else. Yeah. Don't ask. And yep. so, cause it was all too much. And I was like, including like food media. I was like, no, I'm not watching any of that either. Cause it's just going to make me think about some other things. Yep. So literally just like, I want to watch someone renovate their garage and turn it into a little like, you know, like she shed or whatever and just get my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, so something I did at the beginning of quarantine that, you know, it's not for everyone, but and if you are looking for a way to like engage with Instagram in a way that's not as triggering, um, <laughs> basically I made a burner account and Ooh. I only follow like, you know, it's called like saddest times where it's like satisfying like videos of people, you know, like carving yes. wood or, or doing oh. small carving or petting, you know, trimming like a, a dog that's super fluffy. Um, and then I also with that account only follow like positive news um, mm-hmm. uh, accounts. So like a uh, good news movement, upworthy, um, good. It like, it's just like, an account I can log into where I have zero followers and oh, I love that. just like me taking in stuff that's, you know, if I want to like give myself a mental break of just scrolling something, I can do it in a way that's like just taking in like really good news and like silly videos. So I, oh, I, I highly, that. highly recommend doing that. Oh, I know there's one, I have one Instagram account I follow that's just like dogs <laughs> and that is like between th- that and then my sister who is one of the most ridiculous people on the planet on planet earth and she works in she works in theater professionally so she's having um they're having their own situation in that space but she finds the most ridiculous like videos and she has one that is this it's a video of a a couple of tourists probably in like morocco and they're supposed to be getting on, they're supposed to be doing a tour on a camel or on a set of camels. And the Wranglers are, 
Wow. I mean, th- so the couple is sitting on one camel and I don't understand why this happened the <laughs> way it did. And the man has like slid, he slides forward and the camel can't stand up on all fours. Oh, so no. it's like oh. it's front legs are buckling and it's, it's pure comedy because <laughs> the wrangler is trying to like get because the, the camel keeps walking and it won't stop moving so people can help it. So he's, this camel's attached to another camel too. And so that camel has no choice but to keep following this one around. It's the most hilarious <laughs> thing. And then someone figured out that if they dub um, the song Stan by Donnie McClurkin over top of it. It is, I, we have shed so many tears watching that stupid video. And I just, it's, it's incredible. And then this morning she sends this video of, um, there's this dog that their owner pretends they're interviewing them about some issue. And the dog literally just walks up to the mic and starts sniffing it. And all you hear in the microphone is these sniffs. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've seen. I'm just like, this is the stuff that we're doing in order to keep our sanity um, yes. is to find as like, get as ridiculous as possible. I'm on a, a golden girls binge at this point. Um, <laughs> just like that's my go-to. My sister, I think she's watching uh superstore all over again. Um, so yeah, yeah I just, um, you know, it's been, you know, yeah, like I, uh, when quarantine started, my husband and I, we hadn't watched like, we've only, we only watched Black Panther in the Marvel universe. So like we started from the beginning and Ooh. started watching like all the Marvel movies. <laughs> and so that's been like a fun way to like turn off our brains for a bit and like get Absolutely. absorbed into this like superhero universe. Yes. Um, what else have we been watching? I've gone through all the Star Wars again. Oh um, yeah, and, and I'm That's actually like just, in, in my house because like my husband loves Star Wars. So is my mom. Like I'm, I'm just a huge fan, <laughs> huge fan. I even like I've tried to watch the last one, like the 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 Rise of uh, Skywalker, a mm-hmm. few times. So many like little like nuggets, and there's so much nuance in there that I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna watch it again. And then I know at least once a year I watched uh, I watched the Matrix trilogy because it's just there's always something new there. It's always fresh. <laughs> And I don't know why it just feels fresh every time I watch it. And, um, and then the, the theater in the national theater in London, they were airing a lot of their shows, uh, live on YouTube. And so we managed to watch, um, they did this gorgeous version of a streetcar named desire. I mean, absolutely stunning. Um, we watched, um, Jane Eyre, which if you can go watch it on YouTube, I think they're just still replaying them. It will absolutely floor you. I mean, just, I mean, wow. I, I'm, you know, because I'm a, I've always been a very big reader. Like I've been, I've worn bifocals since second grade. So I've always been a big reader. And so like Jane Eyre was one, the Bronte sisters were par- definitely part of the collection and like Jane Eyre that they're, they're the way the director like executed her vision is absolutely stunning. Mm. So if you like wow. theater, love literature like that, you will get completely immersed um they also did uh they ran um frankenstein the one with uh benedict cumberbatch and um uh johnny miller and they both reversed roles and so they showed one with benedict as the monster and johnny as as dr frankenstein and then they reverse roles and they run the play again so you watch both versions just to see how both of them kind of oh that's really cool it's super it's incredible i love both of those actors anyway and and it's just ironic they both play sherlock holmes and yeah. so it's just like you know, I am able to absolutely nerd out. Like I watch Hamlet once a year. I just like yeah. I I it's found funny. my good. It's like uh, yeah, I find myself like looking for even like going back to like classic films. Um, yes, you know, and, and I'm doing air quotes as I say that because you know who gets <laughs> to determine that. But like um, I just watched uh, an American in Paris. And revisited Singing in the Rain. Yes. Um, Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, even that's like fun and just something to like, again, take my mind off of things and like bring into this world of like whimsy and whatever. But then like when it's done, I'm like, wait, what year was this? 54? (laughs) Like things are like super segregated and (laughs) they're like dancing and like snapping and everything's great. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm We're about to ruin this whole experience. <laughs> All right. And it's like, oh, right. It was 1950, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you know, that's yeah. what you just try to like keep your brain compartmentalized in those things. Like I'm going <laughs> to enjoy this because it's enjoyable and yeah. not think about how problematic the circumstances are surrounding right. its production. Um, yeah. I, I just, and that's, it's the same thing for me with like those particular, like the, the Shakespeare plays and things like that. It's, you know, Shakespeare was that guy that was making, he was commenting on his time. And a lot of the issues were very similar. Um, you know, watching, I do, I, I, do a ton of Jane Austen. I find that her commentary on life and on feminism and, um, and misogyny and all the things that had existed during her time that exists now, um, you know, her commentary is always just like witty and bright and clear and like clear minded. And so I, you know, I watch you know, Pride and Prejudice on repeat. I watch, um, Northanger Abbey a lot. I, Jane, um, Mansfield Park, the most current version of that, I think, came out in 2005. Wait, Jane? No, no, Mansfield Park by uh, Jane Austen. Oh, okay. She, that book in itself is, is is a bit weighty for, like, her work. But the movie, the current version of the movie, like, the, the themes they touch on, they touch on slavery. They touch on the slave trade because at the time, the slave trade had just started. And so, oh, wow. you know, because of her position, because of where she lived and being in England um, and her commentary about the wealthy and about the elite in England was always like scathing and like definitely riddled with a lot of side eye and, you know, in like attitude there. And I love it. And so her commentary about slavery during that time was this it was an indictment on it. It was like this should be because um, at the time England was talking about abolition. And about abolishing the practice because they realized, you know, okay, this is not going in the long run. Like we are going to make our money, but we'll, we'll be bankrupt morally. So like that shows up in the film and it's absolutely, and it's the way it's like layered in, uh, into the story. And because of the, the, the story itself and the heroine in the story, like she comes from a you know, family of abject poverty and she's sent to her family members with wealth and the transition between the two and how like, her circuit, her financial circumstances change, but her mind doesn't and her moral compass doesn't. And so it's just like Jane Austen was one of those writers. Like she was, uh, she, mm-hmm. was a, she was that person who could comment, who had commentary and opinions at a time where women weren't even really allowed to read. So, you know, like I do, I do find myself lost in her world quite a bit. Um, but yeah, and then at the same time, I will turn around, like I said, and watch like nine episodes of the Golden Girls. So, <laughs> hey, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, we contain yeah. multitudes. You, you I get mean, to, just, you know, do whatever you want, and it can be disparate or you know, very similar or whatever. I just always yeah. thought that I could be like Dorothy Spornak. I just always <laughs> felt like I understood her life and her values and like to have a home in Florida with a lanai, like that's the business. Like if I can retire like that, <laughs> is that the goal? Like, <laughs> yes. That's the goal. Like, you know, just a couple of older roommates with some cheesecake and like, you know, healthy yeah. dating life. Like, come on, man. You know, like I, I, I Blanche Blanche is my favorite personally. Um she's so she's and she's so much. And also uh Betty White's character. Oh, Rose Nyland, yes. Yes. If I could be a mix of those two, like ditzy but still out of on the town. <laughs> like, and Rose was like that low key you know, that low key wisdom. Like yeah. you, could, you could work your way through her storytelling. You could really find some real nuggets in there. And yeah, so- absolutely. <laughs> you know, she it didn't sound smart on the surface, but she, you know, she had some wisdom. She uh, really did. So whatever town that she grew up in. St. Uh, Olive. St. Uh, Olive. Yeah. <laughs> It was back when like we had television writers and before the writer strike. And it was so cool. When we were growing up, like we had like a staff of writers, man. And now it's like a hodgepodge at this point. Mm. So we knew the moment that the writer strike happened because television just was not, it was never the same. Mm. And so, you know, like the way television is written now, like there's just, you know, it's not, there were certain formulas that absolutely worked and the ones that they have now, like some of them, they're just like shots in the dark. You're just like, what is this? The show is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I lament a lot. Like I give, uh, I give anything like 20 minutes and then I'm like, okay, I just, what Can't is this supposed to be? What are yeah. we doing? Um, this is- oh, so speaking of bad, um, that's something I also recommend is like a movie that's so bad that it's funny. Um, oh yeah 
so <laughs> we actually we went up to see some friends in New Hampshire and we watched um Cats and Catwoman. And oh God. Had, if you want a good laugh, watch either oh the with oh drink, of course, like you know, and we were talking the whole time and it was just so funny. They're oh both so cats. bad. They're, they're funny. So bad. They're so deeply terrible. Like my brother yeah. who's still my brothers still live in Arizona with my mom. And um my older brother started to send my sister like movie challenges and all of the movies are terrible. So like her <laughs> first movie challenge was uh Supergirl from like the nineteen eighties. One of the worst movies ever made. And she had the challenge is she has to get through it. Because most of these <laughs> movies are like a half of Apple on like um any particular like critic critic site. Right. And so um so yeah, so she managed to get through Supergirl like painfully. Because there's a point in that movie where you're just like, what is happening right now? Where did this <laughs> random mountain come from? Right. Why is this lady like she's like she's supposed to be like the Lex Luthor character, but she's like a bit more like a witch from like an 80s cartoon. It is the absolute worst movie. And then and the thing is, they had like these heavy hitters in the movie, like these actors that have these huge like resumes and do all this really serious work. Like Faye Dunaway was in this movie. So it's really bad. But now we're like. There was one we did not too long ago and I can't, I, I have removed and scrubbed the name of this movie from my mind because honestly, I don't even re- want to remember that I know it. And we got through probably 18 minutes of this movie. Oof. It is that it was Ooh, so bad. I was just like, guys, I mean, there was the, it was cheaply done. Um, and the, when you read the backstory about the filmmaker, you feel bad for him because he was like an immigrant who wanted to make movies and he was brought up, brought up in like a really like strict Muslim country. And so when he moved to the United States, he just let the gates open and anything he thought stereotypical of American culture made it into this movie. Uh, one of the main characters, he wears this wig and wow, 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 wow. <laughs> The wig is so, so bad. And you can see when he puts it on and you're just like, what is happening? Why did, why is there no continuity? So yeah, so we got through that. And then my movie that I always go to when I'm looking for something that's terrible, but hilarious is Highlander um, (laughs) from the 80s. Like that (laughs) for me, my brother's like, why do you watch this movie? I'm like, it is so bad. It's great. What are you saying right now? It is such a terrible, terrible, like the overdub is horrible because most of the main characters don't speak English as a first language. They speak like Welsh or something and they overdub the movie and it's so bad. Wow. so bad, but it's really one of the greatest movies ever made. Like that's, it's like, like Sean Connery's in it. So it's just, it's one of those. And like Queen does like the soundtrack for it. It's just, again, these wonderful decisions all blended together. So yeah, absolutely recommend terrible movies to get lost in. Find your one for sure. Um, But yeah, those Um, things are definitely helping. Yeah. Um, I do have to um, head out in a minute. Yeah, no worries. No worries. I want to make sure that we... Well, what do you want to like um, wrap up with? I want to make sure we like cover that too. Well, to uh, to your point about like the future, and I'll do mm-hmm. this very quickly. A concept I've been thinking about and working on, and actually have like built a website for, and have an Instagram for, and have written a pitch deck for, is a, a black-owned digital media company, much like. Taste made or tasty or any of those platforms mm-hmm. where we are developing content um, around food, travel, and lifestyle, um, specifically produced and uh, written and curated from like black producers and black content creators and black tastemakers. And so I'm kind of in the beginning stages. I'm just like literally working. Uh, I'm just working. And right now I'm working on two video demos. I want to do um, one that's a demo for like a series where we walk, we look at um, just kind of ice cream culture through mm-hmm. like the lens of the black experience, like ice cream makers that are black and, and you know, shops like that. And so I'm working with um, a couple of folks that everybody will know. I'm not going to throw their names out there just yet until we get some of those projects working. But um, I wanted to do in Harlem. Do you know Sugar Hill Creamery? 
I do. I have. I keep trying to order from there, and every time I go, they're not available in Postmates. I have to just walk over. Uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> head over. Um, the couple that runs it, um, Petruska Bazin Larsen, she's uh, Haitian American, and um, her husband is white, and they're awesome. Their ice cream is delicious. They're really great. So, like, you should definitely check them out if you're doing like an oh, ice definitely. cream. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the series itself is really about, and it's, you know, for me, it's, it was really important to have not just, uh, like black stories, but black storytellers. So I'm looking for people who are like great on camera, who have YouTube videos already, or a YouTube series that kind of center, that looks at those particular areas. Um, you know, there's a a girl who hosts a, a, a lifestyle show for um a a magazine called house beautiful and she Mm -hmm. uh, does like one where she does kitchen tours um she has one where she does they did a series on like they built this house in nashville and so she was hosting that process as well and she's just an incredible host and you rarely see black people in those like home makeover spaces and she's just brilliant at it and so i'm just i'm kind of i'm really paying more attention to like youtube channels and people's instagrams and like their content and Mm -hmm. how engaging they are on screen um, uh, like Onika the Traveler, like I'd love to see her host a show that it, that airs on this platform. So essentially, it's an OTT or what people consider like what they call over the top, which is essentially um, things like Netflix or Hulu. So you subscribe and you get access on your phone, on your computer, or on your television, and you subscribe to the app, and you can watch all of the content. So some of them will be short videos, some of them will be long form videos, some of them will be like a long term, like a long form documentary. So I'd love to like um, tap on um like Michael Twitty to mm-hmm. host uh, a docu a docu series and like that kind of thing. So I'm looking to like really just curate some content right now. That's awesome. uh, so the web so yeah so I'm kind of I'm working on the website right now. I'm think I'm doing what we're I'm planning on doing is what I call like a preview so people can start to understand what the platform will look like and what it will offer. So I'm going to pull on um, content that's already that already exists on YouTube and just kind of create a place where we can like find all of it in one place. And you can like get into someone's YouTube channel, look at what they do, what they are, and like feature people who are already kind of doing this work. And that's then awesome. as we um, raise money for, because uh, I'll probably put up, I have a page, we have a Patreon up at this point. Um, so when that, once we accumulate enough dollars to actually start producing some video demos, then I can actually put that in front of some investors as well. I would love for the community to be like investor essentially. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see that first layer or first tier of investing or first round of investing to come directly from the community because I want us to have ownership in it. Um, so yeah, so the name of the, the brand will be set the table media and um and that's really what it is it's kind of like just creating a big table and and inviting people to like hear our stories from these particular experiences and our point of view like you know what it's like to travel as a black person to countries where you don't see very many black people and yeah absolutely and that kind of thing and then and told from our point of view with our voice and you know i want to be the person who's hiring black filmmakers and black videographers and black editors like i want us to be able to employ these people doing that other work as well and um be able to like launch it I am going to have the website will be available like the preview and then like a lot of the information about the project in and of itself and its fundraising will be available next week. So people can start like just looking at the concept overall and getting an understanding of what the final product will be and then how they can participate. And then hopefully, because we're all kind of still in a lockdown space, hopefully next year we'll be able to like get those demos um, shot and then uh, add those to like the pitch deck and start to like get a, go through that next round of funding so that we can like awesome. really be up and running and producing a lot more content. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in a similar vein, I guess, just in terms of like content creation, um, I'm just planning on building out Angry Society as much as possible. Mm. Um, you know, I am planning on putting up on Monday, a story with uh, chef Chris Scott about mentorship um, and how important that is for young black chefs. Um, I did an interview with V. Cherie Williams, who runs Cuisine Noir and has for the past 10 years. Um, wow. A Q&A about what that's been like. And there's going to be a part two about how she feels about this whole food media reckoning and what she hopes to see happen. Um, and that I'm so excited to put up. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, just... 
I'm trying to find the right moment to add personal, like more bloggy type posts of like what I'm thinking about, what I'm seeing in the the landscape, what I hope to see. Um, but just, yeah, keeping that going, um, maybe moving into video, maybe moving into, you know, interviews on camera instead of yeah. just auditory, even though yeah. I love podcasting and I love having conversations this way. Um, I think I want to just expand and, you know, try and, you know, it might not work out. Maybe it's just a couple of episodes, but, you know, just still try. And yeah, I think definitely. There's just so much beauty and wonderful things happening in the space that need to be documented and yep. explored and celebrated. And so, yeah, that's my goal. It's just to to show up and to follow the things that really excite me and really be creative with how I tell those stories or how I use this little platform I have, <laughs> this little yeah. you know little thing I created to help other people be seen too. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I was, you know, I hoped for like, you know, just about any of the food podcasts, especially the black ones I've been following. I'm like, you know, to see how they've grown. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, now that we're all kind of paused for a minute, we have access to each other in a way we haven't before. And so just, you know, again, those collection of voices kind of being in one place and just watching communities like black food folks grow and finding more and more people in those spaces to even talk to and put their stories out in the world. So, yeah. So I thank you for your work. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, oh, I appreciate thank you. your voice in the world. Like every time someone pops up in my email, they're like, Korsha sent me here. <laughs> <laughs> she recommended that I talk to you and I'm yes. like, look at this. So yeah. So thank you. Um, I appreciate that. No, I just, you know, that you, is I, the, what I'm about. Like I will always promote and share and I just feel, I don't know. I feel so lucky to be part of like this community. So I'm going to show off my community and you are part of that. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, I absolutely agree. So, well, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate this. Um, it was definitely needed. I was just like, where are we right now? Oh, are we even so on planet needed. Earth at this point? Oh, and, you know, and, what and a constant of the year. <laughs> I know. I was just like, well, let's see what Christmas looks like, guys. Let's bring it on. Okay. Let's just mix it all up now. Let's mix it all up now. <laughs> So, yeah. So anyway, but yes, well, take care of yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, happy we might, we might, yes, I mean, I, is happy the right word though? Right. I just feel like, I mean. are we really just, I mean, we're, are we, it's a, you know, I like, I want to celebrate on behalf of my people, but let's be real. You abolished a law you had already enacted right. keeping people enslaved. And now Hello. after two years, you sent law enforcement to enforce a law. That right. you had already passed. Thank you, but wow, guys. Wow. Yeah, but wow. I mean, that's Ugh. a gold star for a job you should have already done. Cool, cool. cool, cool. Right. We'll take we'll take the win. It's not like we like really acknowledge emancipation across the board, but yeah, like, oh, congratulations on being a better person and not being an absolute shit. Good yeah. for you. So yeah, like, like this interest and this like this desire to celebrate it leads to learning and uncovering more stories about emancipation celebrations. Like I'm sure it wasn't just in Texas where it became, you know, uh, a, pl- a time to like get together and eat and drink and listen to music and hang out. Right. Like, uh, I think communities probably did that all over. We just don't know. This is true. And I feel like, you know, Juneteenth is one of those, those moments, those days that you observe and not necessarily celebrate kind of like Holocaust remembrance mm-hmm. where, you know, no one's out here throwing like major parties about Holocaust remembrance. No one's right. like, that, out well, yeah, that be, yeah, that would be <laughs> not appropriate. <laughs> not appropriate. So yeah. Juneteenth in a way can like, there, there should be an, obs- like a joyous observance for it, but not necessarily like, like fireworks level celebration seems mm-hmm. like inappropriate yeah. for that. So yeah, especially if you are not a black person who had like relatives and ancestors who were enslaved. Like right. I don't think that's appropriate for you to do. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I, I, I digress at this point. So yeah, so I am going to go eat my Juneteenth meal and yeah, have my we're gonna go get some barbecue too. Like yes. you inspired us. So we're gonna we're gonna yes. head out as well. Cool. And I'll probably just watch Coming to America. And then, um... <laughs> you know, that is the most appropriate Ju- Juneteenth movie. Okay. 
I mean, come on, she's your queen. Like, really? So, yeah. So I will catch up with you soon. And um, we will definitely like, you know, I'll keep everybody in the loop about Set the Table because I definitely want an audio component there. And I want to be able to like have a podcast studio where people can come podcast for Set the Table. And uh, so, yeah, so I will keep everybody um, up to date on that. And then follow. Let me know how I can help you. Like, what can I do to support as you like build this out? Okay, sweet, sweet. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please go listen to uh, Hungry Society, please. They are on Heritage Radio. Um, you have a website for, Her- for Hungry Society? Yeah, um, HungrySociety.com. And then uh, my writing is CorshaWilson.com. All right, so CorshaWilson.com and um, HungrySociety.com. So please go check those out. I'm not saying you need to like cough up a donation simply because she exists in the world, even though I believe she's <laughs> worth that. However, the, her her work is valuable enough um, to deserve your coinage and your patronage. So, like, if you feel inclined to bless her uh, with a tie, please do so. So, anyway, <laughs> all right, you guys have a good night, and uh, <laughs> we will catch up soon. Yes, we will. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out a Hungry Society podcast on Heritage Radio, and to discover more of Korsha's writing, please visit her website. CorshaWilson.com. If you like tonight's episode and enjoy the Afros and Knives podcast, please share, like, subscribe, and comment. To connect with the community, be sure to visit AfrosandKnives.com and sign up for the newsletter. And now, a loving kindness meditation for trying times. You know, those moments when the guys who are setting off the fireworks have absolutely no chill. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be at peace. Until next time, this is Chef Tiffany. Have a great night.